0: All right. Welcome to the Digigods podcast. We are uh, done with the American Fourth of July holiday, and uh, Mark is still not back because Mark is now on vacation. So I am here with Tim Cogshell. Hello, hello
1: again, everybody. That's
0: Tim's go- Tim's going to be with us uh, for a couple of weeks while we uh, while we just tread water uh, while Mark is in Europe, um, living a much
1: better life than
0: us. Well, you know, Mark Mark shares a birthday. Um, he shares it with the entire nation of France. <laughs> and uh, so I think he's he's going over there to uh, just enjoy the fireworks on the on uh, the 14th of July to uh, pretend like they're celebrating his birthday with him.
1: Bastille Day. Yeah. Bastille. Day? Yeah,
0: it's Bastille Day. Yeah,
1: okay. yeah. I'm smarter than I thought I was.
0: <laughs> it's kind of a, a kind of obnoxious. We have a guest as, as well today. We have uh, our good friend Nadim George, uh, writer, director, producer. Who um, Nadim and I we were on the, we were on the set of Love Sonia a few weeks ago, weren't we? Yes. Our our good friend uh, Tabrez Nurrani's uh, directing debut, and that was that was very fun.
2: We were at uh, Griffith Park. Yeah. In the middle of the night,
0: at like one in the morning.
2: There's a lot of things happening in Griffith Park in the middle it, of the it, night. Yes, there
0: are, and the direction the directions that you gave me confused the daylights out of me because they had it all blocked off. It was like the gates were closed, and then and then I went through the wrong direction. I went uh, around the way you're you're supposed to come out, so I drove in the exit, and then two park rangers who looked like they'd had a, a case of donuts too many they they came and uh, tried to stop me with flashlights.
2: That was part of the movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I love Sonya other comedy. Yes. Uh,
0: anyway, so uh, very much looking forward to that. And uh, Tim, you are. What are you doing this weekend?
1: You got a, you're, you're you're covering OutFest. I'm, I'm covering OutFest here in the United States of America. I feel like I have to say this for the show because it's yeah. an international show. It like is. This. So yeah. OutFest is a big, gigantic uh, gay and lesbian uh, film festival. It's been going on twenty twenty five years. Now. Something like that. Something yeah. like that. Here, really, really huge film festival. Very important film festival here. Uh, that uh, highlights gay and lesbian films uh, from around the world. So actually, some of the films that we'll be seeing, that I'll be seeing, will be films that will be able to be seen all over the world. Lots of
0: them. Very nice. Yeah, we got a lot of gay films here. We're going to talk about. We first. do uh, in in honor of Outfest. We got a little uh, little stack of uh, gay and lesbian themed films this week. Um, I've got. We have a ton of classic films uh, left over <laughs> from before, but for starters. I want to get through some documentaries here really quickly, uh, which we didn't get to previously with Mark. So I'm going uh, to make some short work of some of these docs. Uh, there are three here, which are uh, 4K documentaries, all kind of a, a, of the same line. Uh, these are all from Shout Factory, and they are all 4K documentaries that just will kick your HDR into uh, fifth gear. Um, Rocky Mountain Express... Journey to Space and Flight of the Butterflies. This is basically kind of IMAXing your new 4K television. Um, Journey to Space is far and away the most interesting of these, although it's a little disjointed. You spend a lot of time on the on, in the International Space Station, and then there's a lot of kind of CGI uh, global warming stuff. It doesn't really quite all hang together, but the space stuff is really nice. The,
1: the, the exterior space stuff. I remember I saw that film. We yeah. spend a lot of times floating inside the international yeah. space, which is neat. Yeah. But you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna make a movie like that, yeah. then get outside the space station. You know, Ron yeah. Howard and Apollo thirteen let us float around. Not that and, interesting.
0: And Rocky Mountain Express is just beautiful travel log of the uh, the Rockies and Flight of the Butterflies if you're really into butterflies uh you know it's a, this is the you're, this is sort of like the uh, what was the bird movie? uh Which one? well the the the, uh, the the winged migration oh yeah
1: oh it's like that
0: it's a little bit like that except instead of following birds you're following monarch butterflies so it's a little less dynamic
1: <laughs> yeah i remember because in, in the other one we were literally in that flock of birds yeah you're time.
0: not really yeah. in with the it's a little harder because you'll you'll you'll, you know, kill all the you'll kill all the butterflies but uh anyway it's uh, beautiful stuff i mean it's really really nice so it's uh, you know these were all originally imax uh, films and, and 4k now you can if you want do that IMAX thing on your 4K television. Really wild wow people. and uh, Knock yourselves out. It's, uh, you know, it's not like these are stories or anything, but they are what they are. Uh, and then we've got some really, really interesting film-related docs here. Got a Blu-ray uh, called Just Desserts uh, Special Edition. This is uh, from Synapse, and uh, this is the making of Creepshow. Now, Creepshow was a bit of a cult movie once upon a time. It has kind of waned in its cult popularity. This doc was made in 2007, and uh if you know, if you remember Creep Show, if you have a fondness for Creepshow, Show, it's a fun behind-the-scenes look at it with all kinds of great extras and interviews and and flashback stuff. Um it's on Blu-ray, looks decent, uh, but otherwise it's, you know, if you if creep show means nothing to you, then it's obviously gonna have no frame of reference whatsoever. Uh adjust your color is the truth of Petey Green. This is a documentary about the legendary Petey Green. Narrated by Don Cheadle. Well, Tim? The, the
1: Don, of course, I think, did Don direct that movie in which he plays Petey he Green? He plays Petey Green in the movie. Did, did he direct it? Was, that, was that Cassie Lemons? That might have been Cassie. I, can't L- L- the, I think it's Cassie Lemons. Who directed yeah. that movie. That's a very yeah. good movie. It uh, is. Chewy, Edge of Four is in that movie. Yep. Um, yep. I actually happened to cover the the, the junket and the red carpet for mm-hmm. that movie back in the day. It's very, very interesting. Petey is a very interesting character. Fascinating guy. You know, in the context of some of the things that are going on in the world today, vis-a-vis, you know, African-Americans, PD is, is a very, very prescient sort of fellow. He was talking about a lot of this on the radio. Yeah. 25, 30, 35 years basically changed radio. Yeah.
0: He, he I mean, a legendary radio figure and a guy who, you know, had no formal training in it.
1: He just, he just sort of... Walked into it from uh, you know he'd, he'd done some time and he... almost off the street. What he did is he he what Dave Chappelle called keeping it real. Yeah, that's what Pete started what doing on the radio 35 years ago.
0: Well, you know Don Cheadle was was great on screen and, he's, and obviously the right guy to narrate this. So this is uh, this is a really really fun doc as well. This is from Virgil Films. Um, a couple here that uh, go together. I'm going to mention the first one is Walter Salles, the uh, the tremendous Brazilian filmmaker who, uh, you know, is an Oscar nominee himself, did a documentary about the, uh, the hot-shot young Chinese director now, who is sort of all the rage right now, Jia Zhangke. Uh, the documentary is called J- J- Jia Zhangke, A Guy from Fengyang. And um, Jia has kind of taken the world by storm. He's, he's now the new, you know, uh, kind of the new hot-shot art house Chinese director and uh, has done a number of really extraordinary films. Mainly Platform was the first one that was a big deal, uh, Still Life, and then the one that really, really caught uh, everybody's attention recently, A Touch of Sin in 2013, which is this devastating look at violence in Chinese society in a
1: number of different episodic vignettes. It's really an incredible film. Yeah, sort of interestingly sort of interconnected, and, and this violence the sort of takes place In rural China, as well as in the city. Everywhere. And it shows how the film is about how the violence is almost completely disconnected from anything. Anything can be happening, and the result, or at some moment in it, there will be some insane act of violence. So it's very disturbing. It's,
0: It's really disturbing, which is why it's shocking that the Chinese censors even allowed it to be made. So anyway, if you want to know who this guy is behind all this stuff, and I have not been a fan of all of his films. I think some of them, uh, you know, The World in 2004 was not my favorite film. But he um, he really is iconoclastic and incredibly creative. And uh, Walter Salas, a no-slouch himself, makes a wonderful, wonderful documentary uh, about this incredible filmmaker and how he's kind of turning things around on the world stage. And released in tandem with that is, of course, Gia Zhangke's new film called Mountains May Depart which Kino has also released this week on uh on Blu-ray and uh it is like all of his other films it is uh it is visually stunning it is narratively compelling it is thematically really gut-wrenching and uh it it you know it's it just it's this massive epic that spans decades of Chinese society and uh, you know how it, it, all of these events just transpire in the life of this family it's really just a, a huge tapestry and um, you and
1: I talked about that film on film week I think when it was out it was, uh, may have I, I, I'm almost yeah. sure that we did it's an extraordinary film it's the one that has that amazingly beautiful ending with with him trying to uh, yes, yes, yes yes right, yeah, right yeah. I'm trying not to ruin yeah. the film but yeah. that's the one right Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so anyway
0: Gia jean a, a filmmaker to know and then another uh, Blu-ray here, Ray Harryhausen, Special Effects Titan. Uh, this is by Gilles Ponceau. A lot of people interviewed in this one, uh, Guillermo del Toro, Peter Jackson, James Cameron, John Landis, Joe Dante, Steven Spielberg, Tim Burton, Terry Gilliam, just about everybody who, who's ever worked with Ray Harryhausen or admired him. Uh, and Harryhausen, of course, you know, uh, predates CGI, and a lot of his, his stop-motion work is still better than CGI. Um Tons of outtakes uh, of, of interviews and, uh, you know, there's an audio commentary with the filmmakers and uh, some other fun stuff here. But otherwise, you're watching this basically for a lot of great clips of Ray Harryhausen, stop-motion stuff. And it's amazing. It's wonderful. And you you develop an incredible appreciation for what he did with just stuff. Nadim, you have any favorite Ray Harryhausen films? You grew up on them just like we did. Uh, uh, Sinbad and The uh, Journey and all that?
2: Yeah. I occasionally catch one on... Uh on late night television and still sit there and watch the whole thing. Yeah. Um, They're they're, they're captivating, right?
0: They are, very. I mean, the the point that's often made in this thing is that sometimes the stop motion does things that CGI can't because it really... CGI, we're aware that it's CGI and it was done on a computer. But stop motion, even though it looks a little fake... Relative to CGI, somehow it feels more real. It's tangible. It's like a
1: three-dimensional object come it, to life. Because, because it is. It, it is, in fact, yeah. right. 3 dim- It's still there. It's still there. Our, our, our mind knows that, that those little things running around. Uh, in Sinbad was Sinbad seventh, seventh, Vo- seventh Vo- Sinbad's <laughs> yeah. right? With, yeah. with, with the with the with the and the thing. Yeah. I can watch that all day. Y- give me that over anything that happened. In that Gods of Egypt movie that came yeah. out of it, yeah. with the big CGI, this that yeah. and the other thing, everything, yeah.
2: give me those skeletons. And that's bad.
1: in bad movie. Well,
2: I think you cross you cross a line with uh, with CGI because CGI is attempting to make it as real as possible. Yeah. With stop motion and some other uh, uh, not computer generated uh, stuff, you know, yeah. it's not exactly attempting to be real yep. so you go for that ride you yes. accept it yeah for what it is and that's what you know then the, it's more the narrative than the special yeah. effects that are making the movie for, for what sure it is
0: yep absolutely we are on board uh next one another uh, another cool behind the scenes deal you probably heard about this lately elstree 1976 a film by john spira and uh, you might wonder, what was going on at Elstree Studios in the UK in 1976? Uh, Star Wars, that's what was going on. And uh, this is uh, all compiled from uh, you know, footage that was shot during the production of Star Wars the year before it became the biggest film in history, when nobody really knew that this was even going to happen. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's actually a, a really kind of a great flashback in time. It's a lot of fun. Um, you, you nobody really knew what they were a part of, and uh, that's what makes it fun. If if this were like behind the scenes of The Empire Strikes Back, everybody'd be kind of have a little swagger, a little attitude, like yeah, it's the sequel to the biggest movie ever. But these nobody here really knows what's going on. They're just putting on funny costumes, and they're at Elstree Studios, and there's aliens and makeup, and who knows? It's the 1970s, you know. It might be Logan's Run. Who knows what <laughs> it'll be? It, it's it's actually uh, it's actually fun uh, fun flashback. So that is Elstree 1976. Uh, speaking of docs about filmmakers, uh, this is superb. This is another one from Kino Lorber. Uh, this film is from Samba Gajigo and Jason Silverman. It is called Sembene, the inspiring story of the father of African cinema, uh, which is an absolute must-see. You know, uh, African cinema does not get enough uh, attention, but Ousmane Sembene, who is the Senegalese uh, uh, filmmaker, basically self-taught, who invented modern African film, and uh, the entire ethnographic approach to so many different cultures in Africa and many different countries, uh, it, it is really an incredible story. This is, uh, this is you know, a guy with no formal education who became a, a legendary, internationally renowned, and incredibly influential filmmaker. Really, really worth your time. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Has a bunch of great bonus features in here. Um, interviews and uh, little backstory things. Uh, really, really good stuff. And then uh, while we're on the subject of uh, uh, non-American, non-Western filmmakers, um, we should mention that there was also a very sad passing in uh, uh, recent weeks. Abbas Kiarostami, Abbas Kiarostami, the, the first great uh, director of the Iranian New Wave and uh, you know the first to, to depart. Um, the, uh, this documentary that I have in, in front of me here, Stardust Stricken from Facets, is about another one of the giants, Mosin Makmalbaf. A portrait of Mosin Makmalbaf. This is by Hushang uh, Golmakani, uh, Gol and um, the uh, the story of Mosin Makmalbaf is interesting because you know he formed a Makmalbaf house, which is for his family, his f- entire family. They're all filmmakers. His daughter has won awards as well. You know, his wife's a filmmaker. There, it's an extraordinary family, and uh, this just gives you a glimpse inside the uh, the incredible Makmalbaf. Legacy and uh, what makes his style and his particular films so uh, remarkable, and uh, why he and the Iranian New Wave are worth paying attention to. And then the last couple of docs here: No Home Movie, Chantal Ackerman, mm. another one who recently passed away. This yeah. is her final film, and uh, this is from Icarus Home Video. It is uh, a basically a look at the um, at her relationship with her own mother. Who was a Holocaust survivor and who has actually appeared in many of her movies? And it is, uh, it is quite true to the title. It is no home movie. It is not like any other home movie you've ever seen. It is personal and it is gut wrenching. It is powerful and it is deeply heartfelt. And uh, it is, it's quite a film to go out with. Uh, Chantal Chantal Ackerman took her own life, you know, and you can tell there's a lot of baggage in that family. So.
1: And then last one here, uh, "Song of Lahore," which yeah. I absolutely loved. Uh, did either of you see "Song of Lahore"? I did. I did. This, uh, those Pakistani yeah, uh, musicians. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the Pakistani uh, Buena it, Vista Social Club. It's, 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 it's Wynton Is it Winton Marcellus? Is Winton or Brantford? It's Winton. It's Winton Marcellus. Yeah, Winton. Exquisite, exquisite sequence in that film. Uh, you know, all of these Pakistani musicians uh, gathered there with yeah. Winton Marcellus and all these sort of Western musicians, and these people don't speak English. And obviously, yes. Winton doesn't speak, of, what is it, Urdu, Urdu? I Urdu. Think it's Urdu, Urdu. Urdu. Uh, and, but you know what he says to the, he says to all of these, these musicians? You know, just get in the groove, baby. Just get in the groove. Yeah. <laughs> and they you do. know what they do? <laughs> they do. They got right in that groove. It's Musicians, man. Yeah. It's, it's a language all by itself. And it's essentially a form of music that they play, which is almost obsolete in
0: Pakistan. It yeah. used to be the music that they would score to movies, you know? but um, everything's changed there and western you know there was a there's a political issue in Pakistan where a more conservative government came in at a certain point and suddenly there were there were no more Pakistani movies and these guys were all out of work and they're now trying to preserve their their heritage and their musical tradition and it's beautiful when they come to America it's it's basically just like the um, it's just like the uh, Buena Vista Social Club trajectory yeah, so yeah, it
1: ends up in a concert at Lincoln Center fantastic not, yeah. it's
0: beautiful yeah, that is Song of Lahore <laughs> So those are our docs this week. Uh, Tim,
1: you got anything there on the, uh, on the Outfest front? Well, uh, yeah, I, I do have uh, uh, several interesting little movies here. As, as I said at the beginning of the show, I'll be uh, attending and uh, doing a couple of panels at Outfest here, Big Gay and Lesbian Film Festival. Several of the films that we have here were once films that showed at Outfest, yeah. uh, which I think is rather interesting. In itself, one uh, we have here. uh, I'll let you say the name of the director, Wade. Oh uh,
0: yes, Uh, Tali Shalom Azair. Wonderful little movie. I I hope
1: I didn't. (laughs) That's the reason why I let you do it. It's a neat little movie, in any case. Androgyny Uh, 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 and is the the theme of that one. These young women. It's a very seductive movie. uh, These young lesbian uh, girls uh, just you know filling out uh, the fact that they are in fact gay and then. And Becoming a Gay. Special feature, The Making of Princess. The name of the film is Princess. It's in Hebrew with subtitles. That's a pretty neat movie right there. Uh, We have a film called Those People. This would be one of the films, which was in fact an Outfest winner uh, um, a year or two ago. Again, a very powerful film uh, about, the, about that, that particular subject. This one was about a young Manhattan pa- painter, an Upper East Side painter, who meets this other uh, younger guy, and you know, you know, they're figuring out that they're gay. And it's a very interesting sort of storyline there. Uh, like Cattle Towards the Glow, which is an absolutely beautiful title. Like Cattle Towards the Glow, 2015 film. Uh, directors Dennis Cooper and Zach Farley. This was also a film that was featured at Outfest about a year or so ago. Uh, so it's, a, it's, it's an interesting Outfest way Outfest is a out. great launching pad for a lot of these look the thing about these films and a lot of the films that come out of Outfest is that they we talked about this a little earlier way they are of a thematic kind yeah. very often they are in fact about the thought of either coming out or the dealing with in, inside of the, the family uh, of the fact that someone is, uh, has revealed that they are gay if they are not about that they're usually about a young gay man I have another one in my hand here Henry, Henry Gamble's Birthday Party yeah. uh, which was a very popular film Another film that spent some time at out, Outfest. This came out about 2011 or so. Roger, I remember Roger Ebert liking this film quite a lot. So it was, it was before he died. I know that's yeah. for sure. Same sort of thing uh, about a young man coming out, figuring out that he's gay and, and, and revealing that to his social group as well as his family. Again, these films are of a theme. Uh, uh, we have uh, Hunter. Uh, same sort of thing. Uh, going on here, set in the sort of millennial generation, which I think is interesting. You know, sort of c- contemporary, very young gay men,
0: where the where the, the the issues are the social issues, the social taboos are probably not the same, and,
1: and, and because they're dealing with uh, the fact of their gayness in a world 35 years on from HIV, uh, you know, yeah. and the cocktails, and, and 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 some of the things that were issues, uh, you know, for the generation Previous right generation. before them. Are not issues for them, except that they are still issues for them. But mm. they don't necessarily want to accept that they're issues for them. So it's an you know interesting uh, look at the way that they're dealing with the world. There, Outings was a television series uh, uh-huh. uh, that, that lasted for a season. A two very funny Canadian television series. Saw this one, um, yeah, I don't know, two or three episodes of this outrageous, very flamboyant gay men living the lives they The very sort of very a, Cambodian or uh, Canadian. It, it was a. It's sort of a queerest folks kind of. Yeah. Remember, remember as yeah. folks? It's yeah. sort of in that vibe. And lastly, we have a film called Carla. with uh, Carl is, with A in Carl the... Carl with this, the A in Yeah, Carl, G, Carla. Is, yeah. Yeah, obviously, it's about a transvestite brother. <laughs> or sister. Yeah. Maybe it's a sister. I yes. think it's a sister. Sister, right? <laughs> it, 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 you know, I get confused about these things. Anyway, uh, I love the tagline for this film. Sometimes love gets lost in the transition. Oh, there you go. That's uh, that. That's that's clever a smart. Board. That's a smart uh, one. Uh, that's a reason to make the whole damn movie, <laughs> right there. Anyway, uh, some interesting gay and lesbian themed films on the eve of Outfest, and only a few weeks or so after Gay Pride Month yeah. here in the United States. Indeed. Is that, a, is that a thing around the world, Gay Pride? I don't know. I thing? guess so, or maybe it's just the U.S. Oh, yeah, yeah. It oh. should be, you guys that celebrate that. The parties are fantastic.
0: Now, uh, Nadim, I want to ask you, uh, Sembeni, when, when you were, uh, you, you grew up all over Africa. Was, was Sembeni a figure at that time? Was he a known fixture?
2: Not for me, because uh, I was very young in Liberia, which is close to Senegal. Yeah but didn't have any dealings at that point, and then moved to East Africa. Uh, And so, uh, no. 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 And uh, growing up there at the time when uh, there were very few uh, movie theaters or even television, uh, we occupied ourselves doing other things.
0: See, that's what I always find interesting, because for the longest time, the Chinese filmmakers and the Iranian filmmakers who were getting so praised at international festivals weren't really known in their own countries. You know, uh like Tian Zhuang Zhuang from the Chinese fifth generation a colleague of um Zhang Mao's uh, was really, nobody Nobody in China knew who he was because his films were all banned.
1: Well, we talked we, we, we talked about uh, Abbas. Uh, yeah, Kiarostami. Uh, just a few minutes ago. Now, it's funny. He dies, and suddenly the the you know the Persian, the Iranian uh, government anyway, let's say yeah. the government. They kind of claim him. Oh, they, 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 they're praising him. I'm like, you hated him. Yeah. <laughs> they, he, they chased him to, to yeah. Paris. He lives in they, France. They, they, yeah. Drove yeah. Him, they drove him to make they, movies in France and Tokyo and yeah. Chinese. And I'm like, you people are so, that's it's so incredibly you know, hip, hypocritical.
0: So uh, let's hit some new movies before we uh, we dive into the giant pile of uh, classic stuff. Uh, Tim, uh, it, it is Fate uh, by the Sea. We cannot ah. stop
1: talking about this movie. <laughs> a, so many, you and I are probably <laughs> we were, one of the only couple of film critics you under, who, first of all, really understood this movie.
0: Well, it was funny. We were on Film Week. We covered this on Film Week together, and it was hilarious because before the show, and I'm trying to remember, get me right... You said that this was a um, uh, an Antonioni F- film wrapped, wrapped in, in a De Sica a, film, De Sica film. Yeah. and I said it was a Lelouch film wrapped in an Antonioni <laughs> film,
1: <laughs> which is correct no matter how you cut which it.
0: Which is is so
1: so nerdy and uh, inside. Look, this movies. is a good movie for one thing. Angelina R- uh, Jolie directing, uh, what her second film I think her second, her second film? film or third 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 film. actually third film. Yeah. Uh, yes, right, because she did the uh, the Croatian thing. That's right. The, the big movie with yeah. the uh, war guy, uh, the yeah. guy in yeah. World War Two. Yes. Uh, with her and brad pitt in this movie it, it's a throwback and i'm sorry it's a very sophisticated piece of work uh she's illustrating her own savviness sometimes she's playing monica Vitti, sometimes she's doing sophia Loren, and i mean she's yeah. doing them yeah exactly in these moments you can i'm looking at this movie and i'm like she's doing monica Vitti from love and daughter and she's just killing it you with the hat and everything you know and i'm like you know what this is a very sophisticated woman She's also incredibly brave. All right, we we, we understand that Angelina had uh, what what do they call it a mastectomy? Mastectomy, double mastectomy. It's a very complicated situation that happened a few years ago. She does a, a you know a full nude, topless scene in this movie. You know, post She's really post, brave, post, post reconstruction, obviously. Yeah, uh, or or not obviously, depending on the way you want to look at it. But no matter how you look at it, that's brave, and I think that's her saying to the world. Yeah. You don't have to be afraid of this. Be fearless. Be fearless. It's yeah. just so very very brave, very savvy.
0: I mean, the the movie takes place in the 1970s, but it has the it, basically Brad Pitt's a, a writer, Angelina Jolie's his wife, and they are uh in Malta at this resort, uh, trying to work out all of their issues, and it really feels like all of those mm. those 60s movies, right, from France and Italy and and everywhere else in the Mediterranean where people are just they're in this sun-baked beauty of the Mediterranean and they're wrestling with issues and you watch it if you're an American and you just think well, you're in a beautiful place why can you not just get past all that and enjoy it but you know they can't enjoy the sunshine because they've got angst in their souls um, I, 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 I really thoroughly enjoyed the film I understand why a lot of people uh, really unleashed on it but this is a, a gorgeous Blu-ray with uh, ultraviolet on it from Universal and uh, I, I think it's worth taking a chance on oh absolutely so, absolutely, yeah.
1: particularly if you like those you know <laughs> Uh, Italian realist, uh, neo realist films in the first place.
0: Uh, next one, I saw the light. Hank Williams movie with mm. uh, Tom Hiddleston, who I believe is now the the
1: new uh, Mister uh, Taylor Swift. Yeah, the yeah. new Mister Taylor Swift. Yeah, he, they kind of look alike, actually. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I saw that movie too. Uh, I saw the light. I'm afraid. I'm
2: afraid he thinks he is Hank Williams. He's, that's the soundtrack theme. isn't by Calvin Harris, is it? <laughs> no, he <laughs> was, he's, he's, he's singing <laughs> in that movie. That, well, that if, movie opens very nicely. That
1: movie opens. Did you see the opening of that movie? I did. You know, I. Yeah, Will you tell me your thoughts? Look, this movie opened beautifully. This movie opens with a shot: Tom Hiddleston playing Hank Williams mm-hmm. in the round. He's he's singing in concert. He's key lit. Camera floats around him slowly as he sings that long, that beautiful yeah. classic Hank mm-hmm. Williams song. He's singing. Yeah, it's beautiful. The yeah. moment that scene ends, this film becomes completely inert. <laughs> it does. It's like this beautiful thing that captivated me, and then this movie just struck to a complete stop. And And it, it's difficult to say why. It's not like they're bad acting. There's no yeah. bad acting in this film. These people are all talented. But this film came to a complete stop, and it did not start again.
0: Written, directed by Mark Abraham, who I think is a better director than a writer. I, I, I would say the, the script is kind of more the issue here. Uh, this is very interesting. Uh, Sony has released this uh, essentially region-free this will play on Blu ray players in regions A, B, and C. So they're not really worried about anybody pirating this thing or anything, which I thought was very interesting. And, um, you know, this was originally supposed to be released end of last year, mm. it premiered at the Toronto Film Festival. And they obviously had hopes, Tom Hiddleston, he's on his way up, he's going to be, and he's going to get an Oscar nomination, we're going to, and then uh, nobody liked it in Toronto, and they bumped the release date into 2016, and it just kind of lay there for a few weeks. Uh, it's too bad. It, 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 it's it's not a horrible film, it's not a complete dud, it's it's worth watching for him, because he is good. Elizabeth Olsen is, is fine, not quite well used in it, uh, but uh, it's no walk the line. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Exactly. exactly. Um, Tim, did you see Eddie the Eagle? Uh, yeah, I did
1: see Eddie the Eagle.
0: Well, we got we got a four K Ultra HD version of it here. Does it warrant being on four K?
2: Look, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's the question. It, it's, you know no, Well, look, no, Nadim well, has a thought. Yeah. yeah. I, I, Eddie the Eagle, Cool Runnings, even the Muhammad Ali film. Yeah. These are films that uh, uh, that um, they say you know. It's larger than life. I, these particular films are life is larger than film. Yeah. yeah. If you lived any of these, whether it's The Cool Runnings or Eddie the Eagle, the films can't match That's the true. drama of the real life. That's really true. And uh, that's my problem with it. You know, I loved Eddie the Eagle when it was happening. I followed it. It was a wonderful story. But yeah. just the film can't live up to life.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, and that's part of the issue here is uh, Taron Edgerton, who is the who stars as Eddie the Eagle here with Hugh Jackman as his you know his mentor coach. Um, Taron Edgerton is a really good looking guy. Okay, he was in uh, Kingsman, yeah. right? I mean, he's the kid in Kingsman. He's that that blokey kid who becomes you know Colin Firth's. Protege, And then he's wearing the, you know, the, the outfit and he's a stud and he's amazing. The real Eddie the Eagle. Do we remember what he looked like? Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. He looked like, I mean, he looked like Austin Powers, uh, you know, bastard stepchild. <laughs> he, he was, you know, he was a weird looking guy with bad teeth and a weird voice and cross eyes and the glasses. And that's why we rooted for him. Yeah. And you take this, you take Taron Edgerton and you can make him look as weird as you want, but he's still a movie star. He still looks more like Tom Cruise than he looks like the real Eddie the Eagle. Well, you know, that, that's the sort
1: of odd dichotomy of Hollywood. Yeah. That's a Hollywood movie. It's a Hollywood movie. And that's the odd dichotomy of Hollywood. Yeah.
0: More of a Hugh Jackman film, frankly. I mean, yeah. Hugh Jackman's yeah. more, more worthwhile. Anyway. But, uh, so anyway, is it really worth the 4 the, the K? I You know, I guess if you're looking for things to throw on the 4K, just to show off 4K, for, you could do yeah. worse, but I, I wouldn't buy it. Um, and then we got three more here. The boss. Uh,
1: I thoroughly did either of you see the boss? Yeah, which one is that now? Oh, oh no, you know that's 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 that's, that's the Melissa McCarthy oh, that I that heavens. I that I have not seen. Oh, I, I, I'm telling you, I'm off. I'm off of Miss McCarthy. I'm sorry, I'm off.
0: Well, you know, here's the thing. Um, her her husband uh, directed this um and the he look you know they were together in bridesmaids right yeah. uh, you know they had their little thing he's the he's the, the guy on the plane and the whole thing and then he did he directed her in Tammy and uh, they write these things together the movies that they do together are always problematic the weakest ones they're always the weakest ones because they're always based on characters that she did in sketches when they met at the groundlings right they were part of the groundlings together and then and it's always this overinflated sketch comedy stuff and it, yeah, it just gets so tiresome and the idea of the boss is is rather silly it's it's one of those you know uh, rags to riches to rags to back to riches again, things you know. She plays a this, you know troubled foster child who becomes the wealthiest woman in America, or the third wealthiest, whatever it is, and then she loses it all through an insider trading thing, and then she's got to move in with you know the young woman who used to work for her. Uh, played by uh, Kristen Bell, and then uh, you know she's got to learn her life lessons, and then she helps the Girl Scouts develop business acumen, and she's got to work her way up. And the Girl Scouts, of course, learn to be really ruthless. And there's a, there's a Girl Scout fight scene, like a street fight scene with Girl Scouts in
1: slow motion. It's all really, really tedious. You, you, you know what's really problematic about these movies now, yeah. I, and I think it has something to do with generations, right? Yeah. A lot of these people grew up watching the same movies you, you and I grew yeah. up watching from the from the mm-hmm. '80s, and we, I, I love movies like Baby Boom, mm-hmm. The Associate, yeah, sure. a half a dozen movies that are basically this theme, right? Uh huh. Except that they insinuate their generation's sort of potty humor, yeah. foul mouth, yeah. Baby Boom. You get through the entire, you know, any of those movies in the '80s. Just like mid eighties movies, you can get the any one of those movies without one toilet joke, one potty joke, one any any sort of foul mouth anything. Those movies are still perfectly funny, and they work to this day. These people don't get that; they think they have to go down that blue road in order to get the jokes. It, and this one gets really nasty
0: in places. Uh, anyway, alternate ending, deleted scenes, all the usual stuff in here, some uh, exclusive Blu-ray featurettes. Uh, the one thing I will say about this is, that, well, I can't watch this without thinking, this is a movie that Bette Midler passed on in 1985. <laughs> That's what it feels like. Yeah. It feels like a movie Bette Midler would have made, in but it would have been better. Or been, a Roseanne
1: Barr movie from 1985. Uh, yeah, or, or, yeah, or like
0: 1989. Yeah. Uh, everybody wants some... Richard Linklater's uh, first film since uh, *Boyhood*. Yeah, yeah. Is he I mean, good,
1: I, I, dude? Very good. This movie opens with that young man. Not, I think it's 1980. Yeah, it's when this movie said he's in a he's in a light blue Oldsmobile 442, like a 1974 Oldsmobile 442, and he's listening to like you know Leonard Skinner. I don't know what it is. the The soundtrack of this movie is worth the ticket alone. Buy the movie, put it in, leave the room. Effectively a sequel to days and confused in many respects. Young baseball yeah. players, young guys yeah. on the you know yeah. their first year on a college baseball team, all this kind of stuff. Very, very reminiscent. This is now this all resonates with me because all of Richard Linklet, all of these guys, they're exactly my age at that time. You know, they're all 19, 20, 21, and 1979, 80, 81. So, I'm listening to this soundtrack and I'm watching these cars and I'm looking at these guys and I'm seeing my entire life in 1978. But you got to kind of have lived there a little bit to get it.
0: Well, it's very thin on the extras, just uh, usual EPK type stuff. But it uh, does come with uh, ultraviolet, so you can add it to your ultraviolet library and uh, knock it out of the park. And then, uh, lastly, here, uh, green room, which uh, much to the chagrin of anybody who has seen the movie, and uh, some of our listeners pointed this out when the artwork, the, the cover artwork, uh, was released on the. Uh, uh, they talked about this on the Facebook page. The the cover art actually gives <laughs> gives the movie away, so ignore the cover art if you're going to watch the movie. Just don't really pay attention to it. Um, the uh, I, I will say it's not it's not quite the the jolt uh, the you know the, the gut wrenching shock. Uh, thriller that I had hoped it would be, but um, in hindsight uh, the fact that we no longer have Anton Yelchin with us uh, really gives this film kind of, it it casts a pall over it. So, um, one of his last films, uh, I think he had a couple other films in the can. Uh, Obviously one of them, uh, Star Trek, the forthcoming Star Trek film, but uh, this certainly is one of his last films. So, um, there is a reason to watch this. Patrick Stewart is very good in it. Uh, Imogen Poots, I've been a fan of since day one, but... uh, for for Anton Yelchin, uh, Green Room is worth uh, is probably worth watching, Uh this is Blu-ray again with uh, Ultraviolet as well. So now, gentlemen, we are going to uh, dive into some uh, some library and classic films for the remainder of the show. Excellent, excellent. All right. So first up, we've got a bunch of uh, DVD-R manufacturer on-demand stuff here. Um, The one you you probably shouldn't spend too much time on... uh, Look, I love the people at Warner Archive, uh, but the old Charlie Chan movies, there is so little to recommend them to anybody who isn't a diehard Charlie Chan fan. Uh, These these are just generally not very good movies. Um, Two of them have Roland Winters playing Charlie Chan. The other one has uh, Sidney Toler as Charlie Chan. And really, the filmmaking is just marginal. It is, these things were cranked out. And as you probably notice, uh, neither of the actors playing Charlie Chan are actually Asian, uh, which, was, which was an issue at the time. People shouldn't assume that you know, Charlie Chan movies were just a different age. And people didn't mind if uh, white actors played Asian. No, they did. <laughs> they really did. And the Asian community was, was not thrilled about this. And uh, it was an issue at the time. Uh, yellow face has always been an issue, but so from a historic standpoint, I guess these films are, have a certain uh, interesting quality to them. But anyway, that's the Charlie Chan three film collection from Warner Archive. Includes the movies The Red Dragon, The Feathered Serpent, and The Sky Dragon. I also don't think Charlie Chan movies are very good, inter- uh, very interesting as far as m- being mysteries and detective work. Uh, Freddie Bartholomew and Mickey Rooney in Lord Jeff. This was an old MGM film that is now part of the Warner Library. It's part of the Warner Archive collection. Uh, was essentially, a programmer uh, at the time. Just uh, you know, Freddie Bartholomew had just made Captain's Courageous, and uh, Mickey Rooney was, of course, Mickey Rooney. He's always been Mickey Rooney. I, I always think of Dana Carvey doing Mickey Rooney on uh, an old Mickey Rooney, and oh, who's the biggest star in the world. <laughs> you know, if you if you've ever had any exposure to Mickey Rooney, I, I was I was a, a PA on a Mickey Rooney movie once. Oh, get um, out of here! Really? Yeah, yeah it was uh, the LA unit of. Uh, uh, the uh, what was what was the movie Wolf, uh, Legend of Wolf Mountain? Oh my gosh! Oh, dude, good grief! What about, I,
1: I know Mickey. There was a, you know you you know, and Johnny Johnny Grant you know one yeah. of the Hollywood. Yeah. I, I don't know yeah. what it was was some event and Johnny Grant and Mickey Rooney was there. Was near Mickey only died what ten five six seven years ago? Not that long ago. Yeah, Mickey not long there. ago. No, no he was there and he was nine hundred years old and that yeah. and that lovely lady who was this you know fourteenth yeah. wife or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, was there. It was a very odd thing.
0: Yeah, well, anyway, Legend of Wolf Mountain. I remember that very, very well. I never got paid. They still owe me $250. Oh, they owe you <laughs> way more than that, though. <laughs> <laughs> they do now. Uh, the, the DP actually had to take him to court. I remember that. The LA unit DP. He didn't get paid either, and he took him to court. Now, I, rem- I remember thinking, 250 bucks. I guess I could take you to court, too, but... Yeah,
1: it makes a better story. I gotta,
0: yeah, it makes a better story. Anyway, one of these days, one of these days uh something'll happen anyway uh so anyway that's uh that is uh Lord Jeff, Freddie Bartholomew and Mickey Rooney um and then we got another one with Mickey Rooney uh with Wallace Beery another figure from the era a solid solid Wallace Beery guy which whose name I always remember from uh Barton Fink remember Yeah uh, yeah Wallace, Wallace Beery
1: wrestling movie It's a Wallace Beery picture
0: <laughs> uh this is called Stable Mates and I love the tagline on this. It's so classic from the uh, the of the MGM era. Thrills, heartthrobs, roaring laughter. <laughs>
1: it's
0: so great. I love the marketing. Uh yeah, the uh you know, Wallace Berry plays this uh, alcoholic vet and uh Mickey Rooney is a young kid who just loves horses and you know, you can fill in the rest. It's all it's it's, it's one of those horse movies that were so big in the 30s and 40s. Justin Minky Rooney made a great jockey because
1: yeah. he was two feet tall. Yeah. Bl- Black
0: Beauty and American <laughs> Velvet and Elizabeth Taylor. Is it, You know, my friend Flicka. What was it about horse movies back then?
1: Ah, horses. Yeah. America, was America still so rural that everybody was into horses? You know what? You might have just hit on something.
2: There you yeah. go. There you go. Uh, I'm a little out of this conversation. I've been growing up in Africa. <laughs> no, I was chasing wildebeest while you guys were watching classic <laughs> movies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then from the uh, 20th Century Fox Cinema Archives, uh, Lauren Bacall and Robert Stack in The Gift of Love, which was a uh, an early Cinemascope classic, nice uh, Technicolor Cinemascope uh Production not a lot by as as a movie Jean Negulesco directed this Uh, you know it's 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 okay Um, not not brilliant Uh, just a you know kind of a generic uh, family melodrama a woman who has a very short period of time to live and then another wonderful CinemaScope film uh, a little bit better Prince of Players which. Yeah, it has a, really no great stars in it uh, other than Richard Burton. You know, Richard Burton, the young Richard Burton, along with Maggie McNamara and Raymond Massey, who'd long since expired. He, you know, used up his shelf life. Uh, Elizabeth Sellers. The, the one that kind of jumped out at me was John Derrick, young John Derrick, before oh, he wow. became a, you know... Uh, it, it, the, before he was uh, bowed, uh, before he got bowed, yeah, and before he was uh, before he was Joshua in uh, oh yeah, uh, in the Ten indeed, Commandments, indeed. and yeah. I would assume this was probably shortly after he was my father's student, ah, um, which is funny because I remember growing up on the Ten Commandments, and every time it would show up and they'd cut to I don't know if you remember this, but you know Demille never really outgrew. By the way, it's it's you know it's an okay film, <laughs> uh, it's better than the other one, but it's but the thing about John Derrick, and I'm going to tell this story, and I'm sure I've told it before, but uh, when I grew up, and you know, you, you, DeMille never really outgrew his silent phase, so he would still make his movies in a really kind of a cheesy, silent-era way. So in The Ten Commandments, most of which is shot on sound stages, very obviously, then during the Exodus, you have uh, the Exodus taking place with all of this you know, uh, photography out here in the desert, somewhere near Lancaster, California, and they shot without sound, and it's a lot of voiceover and swooning music, and then you'll have these insert shots that were clearly shot on a soundstage. And it just doesn't match at all. These people walk, you hear these people walking around near Death Valley in the desert. And then you'll have a soundstage shot against, you know, a process background of John Derrick saying, Stonecutters to the left, <laughs> water bearing women to the right. And it just looked horrible. And I always remember the, the, sitting next to my father, and that would come on. And every time John Derrick, that John Derrick shot would come up, it would just be, you know, Face palm. <laughs> and, and I never quite understood that because I'm a kid. I'm loving every bit of it. I don't realize it, and you know, eventually I I, I realized that that is that is the the grief of a of a teacher yeah. realizing he learned nothing. Yeah, the kid just wasn't listening. <laughs> he learned nothing. Anyway, listening. all right, let's. Uh, That's why I became a mediocre director. Instead. <laughs> yeah. Well, he wouldn't have been a director if he weren't married to Bo Derek, yeah. So. Um let's uh let's move into you know I got a, I got a pile of uh Kino Lorber titles here that I should go through fairly quickly um before we get to some of the uh, the goody stuff, the criterion and whatnot. Uh these are all from uh Kino Lorber's licensing deal with 20th and MGM uh, and you know a few other companies. Um, these are part of the Kino studio the Kino Lorber Studio Classics line. And these are all movies, basically, to, to sum up what this line is. Kino quite wisely and very smartly said, you know what, the studios, a lot of these, they're doing the same thing that Twilight Time and, and Olive are doing. That they said, you know what, a lot of the studios are doing nothing with their catalogs, and people want Blu rays of classic movies, so damn it, we're going to go out there and give it to them. So, here is your list of uh, amazing Kino classics for this week. And some of them are really, really great The Oxbow Incident with Henry Fonda. Amazing. Dana Andrews, Anthony Quinn, directed by William Wellman, who of course did the uh, amazing All Quiet on the Western Front uh, early on in the, uh, in the 1930s. Uh, this is a terrific Western. Great Western. Absolutely fantastic. Audio commentary by uh, Dick Ulaine and William Wellman Jr., son of the director, uh, who will tell you all about why this movie is just such a great blast of Western testosterone. It is fantastic. The Oxbow Incident. Uh Invisible Invaders uh this is a kind of a, a, a cult uh, sci-fi flying saucer invasion body snatchery uh quasi zombie uh cult film that is actually an awful lot of fun to watch. Uh it's better than most of them from the era 1959. John Agar, right? Yep, sure is. Uh, John Agar and uh you know Gene Byron and a bunch of other you know John Carradine and, and later on in his career. Uh, this is uh, this is actually an awful lot of fun. It is definitely one of those uh, Cold War paranoia movies. Everything about the atomic age and fear of the Russians and fear of aliens. It's 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 a lot of fun. Um, Edmund O'Brien, another one of those uh, gritty tough guys who did a lot of Noirs, Shield for Murder. Uh, the, the only the only thing I can tell you about this is it has probably the greatest tagline of any movie like this I've ever seen. Tim, read the tagline. Uh,
2: uh, uh,
1: Dame, hungry killer cop runs berserk. <laughs> That's what the movie is. <laughs> that kind of speaks to what we were talking about earlier with the way you want to hook people right there.
0: Dame a Hungry Killer Cop Runs Berserk. That's just that's a beautiful thing. You just can't do marketing like that anymore. Uh, John Payne, an actor that I've always liked an awful lot in an Andre de Toth film, Hidden Fear, Good Solid Noir from 1957. Um, uh, John Payne, of course, uh, most famous for Miracle on 34th Street, where he played a, a really good guy. He's a little rougher here, and uh, Andre De Toff, you know, famous. He's the, he had the eye patch, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It, I don't think I don't think he needed it. I think that was just what you did when you were a, a director in the 1950s, right? You put on an eye patch and you, you made people think you were a pirate or something.
2: Some of them put on two eye patches. Yeah, <laughs> <five. laughs> right. <laughs>
0: Uh, John Payne also shows up in uh, this interesting Phil Carlson-directed film from 1953 that has been newly remastered and uh, features a great audio commentary from film historian Eddie Muller. It is called 99 River Street. Uh, John Payne, along with Evelyn Keys. And, uh, you know, it's uh, basically a a film noir in the classic film noir style. It's one of the minor noir of the era, but uh, if you've seen Kansas City Confidential... Same director, Phil Carlson. Uh, no slouch. He never really kind of made it to the top tier of uh, of noir directors, but he did do films like Kansas City Confidential, and this is maybe just a, a tiny notch below. And then the last two. My goodness, this is a weird, strangely terrible, and yet oddly compelling film. Anthony Schaefer's Absolution, starring Richard Burton from 1978, when Richard Burton was making nothing but compellingly horrible movies uh you know Burton at this point at pretty much he was just phoning it in kind of like Brando at the same point in his career and uh Anthony Schaefer directs this not terribly well, but um gosh, this is just one of those movies that that is just you know burton as a as a as a priest and it's a mystery and it's somehow a really bad overwrought drama and it just uh it, it never really comes together, but you just can't take your eyes off Richard Burton. You just don't know what he's doing in this movie. And then lastly, uh, from the, uh, this Kino Lorber line, is the 42nd Anniversary Edition. They couldn't do wow. this two years ago? Wow. They do this, <laughs> make it the 40th? The 42nd Anniversary Edition of the, uh, the Taking of Pelham 123. Film, which was at least one of a handful of movies that inspired Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, uh, and uh, it's still great. The remake of it, I can't say I liked an awful lot. Uh, in the remake, uh, it looked like Denzel was working his ass off, yeah. and Travolta was collecting a paycheck. Yeah. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, Tony
1: Scott. Yeah, like the
0: late Tony Scott. It just. Yeah, yeah, I, but it's exactly what it felt like. It's just like, wow, man. Sometimes casting will ruin a movie if you can't get actors on the same page. Uh, Joe Sargent directed the original. It is still classic. It is still priceless. Uh, Walter Matthau, Robert Shaw, Martin Balsam, Hector Elizondo, fantastic movie. Nineteen seventy-four can't improve. You just cannot improve on this. A great score from the uh, era by David Shire. Uh, really, just a, a terrific movie. This uh, this has comes just loaded with extras. Uh, an interview with David Shire, an interview with Hector Elizondo, who basically now just does Gary Marshall movies. Yeah, uh, interview with the editor, an audio commentary with uh, uh, Pat Healy, who uh, is obviously you know, an actor from the era as well. Film programmer uh, Jim Healy, um, and then uh, you know an animated montage of stills and posters. It's uh, it's a lot of fun stuff. All right, uh, on the Criterion
1: front, Tim, what do we got? Well, you gave me a really really great one here. You gave me Easy Rider. Uh, Dennis Hopper's film. Um, it, it, interesting, you think of, we think about Easy Rider and you, because of the way it's made in a sort of very naturalistic way, that cinematography, uh, cinematography from Laszlo Kovacs, we think of it as this independent film. Uh, you, the, you yeah. know, the, the, the subject matter, of Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda, mm-hmm. these guys sort of writing, the way they made it, they, yep. you know, they sort of wandered around the country you know, through the desert southwest and down to New Orleans and all of that. Easy Rider is a studio film. Um, you know it, 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 You know it, this was, But, but, but you, imagine trying to make this film today. The you way these they gave them less than a million bucks. You know, go make yeah. a movie. You're riding around. They're you know they're stoned out of their minds most of the time. Uh, most of the stuff that you see in this film, that crazy psychedelic scene out in the desert with all the they're stoned out of their minds. Stoned out of minds. Use most of the budget just buying drugs and. <laughs> It, 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 yet they make this classic piece of cinema here, shot beautifully by Laszlo, all those beautiful lens flares uh, which is a thing that he sold by. This is a fantastic Blu-ray uh, restored high definition, uh, digital transfer, supervised by Laszlo uh, the master audio to 2.1, 5.1 stereo surround. Look um, Dennis Hopper, people forget that his first film, uh, Nicholas Ray's uh, the, the, the Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah. Uh, I think he was 18, 19 years Something old. Something like that. Uh, N- Nicholas Ray's third or so film uh, that he had made. He had made They Live By Night, I think, before. And yeah. Uh, your, your pioneering director, Nicholas Ray. Yeah. You know, the first helicopter shot in the film, all that. Dennis Hopper was lifelong films with Nicholas Ray. Uh, you know, Helped him out in his later career much later. You can see the influence of Nicholas Ray That's in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Ray was another one that started wearing that eye patch later. <laughs> 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 it's, it's, it's
2: weird.
1: But you can see the influence of Nicholas Ray uh, in this film, Easy Rider. I think it's quite fascinating.
0: Well, that is Easy Rider getting the Criterion treatment, which is uh, which is long overdue, so rock on with that. Uh, you know what else gets the Criterion Blu-ray treatment this week? Carnival of Souls, Ugh. which uh, is a central part of the uh, documentary that I will always and forever plug on this show, Schlock, The Secret History of American Movies, that I made with Ray Green uh, over a decade ago. Uh, Carnival of Souls is a really pivotal uh, exploitation film because Herc Harvey... Directed it, uh, basically was just doing industrials. This is a guy who was out in the in the middle of the Midwest. He had no exposure to Hollywood, and um, he pulled. This basically was a bet. He made a bet with somebody and uh, made this movie as a result of the bet. Shot it all over, you know, Nevada, Utah, and uh, some other desolate places. And um, it's essentially about a woman, a church organist, who survives an accident and then uh, gets a new job as a church organist in an adjacent city and is haunted by ghosts because she should have died and Mm -hmm. they are trying to pull her back and uh, Harvey himself is has a cameo as the ghost who is in the who who spins around in the chair when she's in the office in in this one scene which still makes my skin crawl talking about it Uh, I I just love this movie it is so beautiful the soundtrack is so bizarre and creepy and uh, this was made in 1962 same year as Lawrence of Arabia and a lot of other fine films it uh, was a complete exploitation film it just uh, it went completely below the radar and then captured uh, everybody's attention in subsequent years it is it is loaded with extras including a uh, documentary of the 1989 reunion of the cast and crew and uh, a thing called the carnival tour which is a 2000 uh, update on the film's locations and uh tons and tons and tons of other really good stuff direct uh you know an audio commentary with uh harvey and uh, john clifford who uh co-wrote it um and you know dana gould great comic who uh, also shows up uh interviewed and gives you his his two bits on why it's a uh, terrific it's just great love this movie carnival of souls director approved edition on blu-ray
1: uh, and you gave me over here the in-laws. The, the original. Uh, the, the original in-laws. The I, you in- know, I kind of like that other one, I had to, to be honest with you, but, this, but, the, but the, this stands apart. It does. This is a 1979 movie, for one thing. And I, I will say this about it. For a 1979 movie, it sort of exists, in a, because this feels a, a, a little um, uh, a little bit out of time and space. You know, this, this movie feels like a movie from the late 60s, late 70s. It's, it's insanely funny. Arthur Hiller film. <laughs> written well, by Andrew Bergman, who went on to become quite a director himself. Yeah. On, uh, Honeymoon in Vegas. I think such, a, the such a funny movie. But here, Peter Falk, Alan Arkin, both at the top of their game. Yeah. So funny. Uh, so iconically themselves uh, in this movie. 1979, couple of fathers-in-law. It's what they are. They're, they're, they're getting married. One's the father of the groom. The other one's yeah. the father of the bride. Uh, one of them is a twitchy nutbag. And the other one's sort of conservative. And it's... Absolutely hysterical film. Uh, on this criterion, uh, again, all kinds of yeah. uh, uh, 2K digital transfer, audio commentary track from the director Arthur Hiller yeah. uh, and uh, Alan Arkin and Peter Falk. We lost uh, Peter Falk uh, a couple of years ago, I guess, yeah. right? Alan's still around doing some absolutely hysterical stuff. Nancy DeSalt, um, uh, really, really fantastic movie that I, I, I'll admit I haven't seen this movie. And several years. I wonder if it still plays as wonderfully as it did.
0: It it there. does, and I'll say the the thing that is especially sad to me is um, the amazing supporting performance by Richard Libertini as yeah. the South American dictator with the who does the little um, you know the the talking hand thing, the Senor Wences deal. Uh, you know, Richard Libertini, um, very very dear friend of mine. I grew up with his son who you know we were childhood buddies still are and uh you know Richard was uh, was a part of my childhood growing up seeing his seeing him in movies and talking to him afterwards about them and uh, you know an incredibly huge personality a wonderful man one of the great character actors of his generation. And we lost him just a few months yeah. ago as well. Yeah. Um, so just at the beginning of the year. And uh, so seeing this uh, really reminds me just what an amazing actor he was, especially in this period. He would also go on to be the, uh, the guru in All of Me. Oh, yeah. You know, back in bowl. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so many great performances. But this is, this is just one of his best. He's so incredibly funny as that lascivious South American dictator with the naked paintings and the, the talking hands. Just great stuff. Uh, all right. We have uh, also more catalog titles from Olive. I'm going to go through these the same way that I went through the uh, Kino ones. you got to know that these are out there. Uh, there's a lot of really good stuff in here. Uh, Kathy Bates in A Home of Our Own. Uh, not such a terrific film, actually. This is from 1993. It kind of came and went. This is a. a I did little, the junket for that movie. You know, this Tony Bill is such an unusual director. He never really sort of it, his films are always solid, but never sort of great. And uh, you know, how, I, what,
1: what was the junket like? You, you know, I remember I, for one thing, Kathy Bates was 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 sort of arcing uh, Frankie and Johnny. She, she, yeah, uh, she was having her moment. Yeah, yeah. you know, and, and you fried green tomatoes. I think it might have been prior to. Uh, the one where Misery. She, yeah, of course she met the yeah. subject. Right. So she was sort of like having a moment. So it was interesting for her. She was always a wonderful person to talk to. Edward Furlong's in that movie too, you know. Yeah. Just, it might have been his second movie after Terminator. you know, he was the kid in Terminator, Terminator Two. Yeah. Uh, it might have been his second movie after that. So, you know, he he was sort of like trying to prove his bona fide's as an actual actor as opposed to a kid that just got found. Well, it, you know, Kathy Bates is fine
0: in it. Uh, she's sort of the only reason to to see this. It's just a you know a straight up uh, family drama. You know, she's a mother and widow, and uh, just trying to sort of you know make her make her 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 life and her family work. And uh, Tony Bill, you know, usually a good guy with actresses, and and it's solid. It's just nothing remarkable. Um, Stagecoach. This is really a weird kind of thing. Uh, this is uh, Johnny Cash and Willie Nelson and Chris Christopherson along with John Schneider. Is it a remake? It it is kind of a remake. It's sort of, it's a semi-remake. You know, the 39 film, the John Ford classic from 1939 that sort of introduced John Wayne in in grand form and uh, which also featured uh, John Carradine among many others. That was remade in uh, 1966 and this kind of riffs on both of them. doesn't do a very good job. It kind of tries to be interesting by adding Doc Holliday to the mix. Yeah. You know, we got a little OK Corral wink and a nod here. It's okay. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little little bit of a weird kind of anachronistic thing. Uh, Richard Harris is terrific in uh, The Return of a Man Called Horse. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, Man Called Horse, kind of the original... Um, you know, white guy goes native movie.
1: What was, uh, yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, he's out there with the Indians and yeah, the yeah, this whole thing.
0: And uh, it was so it was so well received that they had him go native all over again. Uh, 1976 is a little bit late for this kind of a western, but um, you know what? It, 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 let's put it this way: this did well enough in 1976 that its director, Irvin Kirshner, Got a little call from George Lucas a few years later and said, would you like to do a thing called Empire Strikes Back? And uh, Irvin Kershner said, sure, why not? And he did a hell of a job. Still the best Star Wars movie of the, uh, ever. So uh, that's a uh, Return of a Man Called Horse, which uh, is is uh, a lot of fun. Uh, David Wolper's production of If It's Tuesday, This Must Be Belgium, which uh, was made in 1969 and absolutely feels like it. This is... Uh, <laughs> You know, directed by Mel Stewart, who's a really, really, really fun director. But, man, does this really just absolutely feel like like a wacky, uh, strange movie from it, it, the late 60s. It, it,
1: it meant to have that sort of, uh, what is it, was it, Catch-22, the the yeah. with and all this. It meant to have that sort of thing, but it just didn't, you it, know. You know what, it, the, the problem is there. Are,
0: there are a ton of these movies from the late 60s that are all about, um, basically Austin Powers-y kinds of guys, some of them are spies, some of them aren't, usually played by Peter Sellers, in this case it's played by Ian McShane, who just cannot get enough of women. They just chase women around the whole time and you have a lot of actresses who are wearing miniskirts and stewardess outfits and at the end of the movie, somebody winks in the camera and there's a little twinkle and then you're supposed to... I mean, there literally are like 20 or 30
1: of these movies. Yeah, you can't do any, You can't do anything in a movie you today. Did you get any of those you in Africa? Those.
0: No. Didn't get any of those in Africa?
2: We got uh, Benny Hill.
1: Oh, see? Now there (laughs) you go.
0: Isn't that funny? Benny Hill is the universal language. I know. (laughs) Fantastic. So if it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium. Uh, Another one that is similar in that regard, I'll take Sweden with Bob Hope and Tuesday Weld along with Frankie Avalon and Dina Merrill. Um, You know, if if blondes have more fun, then Sweden's got to be the funniest place on earth. Because there are lots of blonde people there. Yeah some of these taglines anyway uh yeah this is kind of on the tail end of uh, bob hopes uh movie career 1965 is getting a little late uh so they know that that's why they have dina merrill and frankie Aval- avalon do some dancing yeah
1: <laughs> so I can, I can sort of make sure to make sure know he's still hip with the kids he's still, oh he's still my a hip gosh cat. yes and then
0: appointment with crime uh william hartnell and uh robert Beatty this is just a straight up noir uh 1947 Kind of on the early edge of noir, uh, you know. Herbert Lom shows up in here, uh, who's you know standard in a lot of these things. Um, not a remarkable noir, but a good solid noir. And then lastly, Cornbread, Earl, and Me. Oh man! Oh man! Oh man! So, Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah.
1: How old was he? It couldn't have been more than fourteen, fifteen years old. Had to be, had
0: to be like fourteen because Apocalypse, Apocalypse Now. He was fifteen. Okay, so if he's if he's fifteen in Apocalypse Now, he's like ten in here. Then, yeah. ten or eleven. Yeah. Uh, this is from 1974, a really, really uh, hugely influential film. I mean, Tim, you had to have seen this
1: oh, when you were young. I, I, I saw that movie when it came out. My yeah. father took me to see that movie. Yeah. That's, a, that's how influential that film is. But it's not a blaxploitation
0: film. No, no, no. no, no it's, way. F- it's, it's from the era, but it's a straight-up drama.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a drama set in the community. It, it, but, it, but, but there it is, a drama set in the community. Lawrence Fishburne could always act he could always act. Yeah. His entire life, he was just a thespian. He's one of those guys.
0: Yeah, well, anyway, it's a really, really good film with some great performances. Moses Gunn is just magnificent in this movie. That's the thing I always remember, Moses Gunn in particular. Just a, a wonderful, wonderful presence. And uh, and yeah, Lawrence Fishburne, who is here referred to as Lawrence Fishburne Third in the credits. <laughs> 1975,
1: uh, that would be about vehicles. Yeah, yeah, Apocalypse Now was... 79. 79, so yeah, yeah he'd
0: have to be about yeah. 10 there. Yeah. About, about 10 years old, just a kid, just a kid. Uh, and of course, you know, Antonio Fargas uh, just brings it every time he shows up in a movie, and he was making Starskin Hutch at this at time. At that time, yeah. So he was Huggy Bear on TV, and he's wonderful in this. So, you know, uh, Jamal
1: Wilkes, the great forward for the Lakers. Lakers, Lakers that, yeah. that, that, that great shooting forward yeah. in this movie. Yeah. It's, ah, man, it's just, it's, don't, don't get me started. Also. It's a fantastic it's, film. All right, um, let's go into uh, some, uh, some other interesting Warner Blu-ray titles. Uh, Tim, share with us the... I've got, I've got Victor Victoria uh, over here, Julie Andrews and James Garner uh, and Robert Preston. You know the thing I love about this movie... Uh, when it came out, this is this would have been what, like the late seventies or early eighties, eighty. Oh, what was this? Eighty. Blake Edwards, uh, something like, like late Blake Edwards, like movie. eighty-two, eighty-three, uh, something it, like that. And, and you know, there's this, it, obviously you have a whole set sort of transvestite. I guess they called them transvestite. It's around the same time as is, as ET. It was around it was that all that, same, that yeah. stuff. This, so this is a Robert Preston film. Robert Preston, who, who still has a sort of classic era to him as an actor. You know, sort of performing in this movie and Julie Andrews. Who could still sing like a bird? This is before she had had that throat surgery that, mm-hmm. that took her out of singing for several years. Absolutely fantastic! And of course, you can't go wrong with Rockford. Rockford is in the movies. Um, anything on these? Wade? No, no, no nothing. got the feature-length audio commentary from Julie Andrews and Blake Edwards. Yeah, which is actually kind of nice. I appreciate.
0: That's it. the one. That's the one that has been around forever. Uh, that's a you know previously recorded one that was because uh, Blake Edwards is no longer with us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: And then others from the uh, Warner uh, line this week, we, it's interesting. They, the way they've split this up, we've got a couple that are from Warner Archive, uh, the manufacturer on demand Blu-ray releases, and then a couple that are not. And they're all John Wayne movies. And I, I, I would love for somebody at Warner, if they're listening, to, to kind of explain to me what the rationale is for... Because the two best films here, far and away, they were expendable... And she wore a yellow ribbon. Uh, those are part of the Warner Archive release, which I would have expected would have gotten a big, screaming fanfare release to the world. These are two amazing, remarkable John Ford films, John Ford and uh, and, and John Wayne collaborations. I mean, these are legendary. She wore a yellow ribbon is just magnificent. It's one of, you know, it's part of the Cavalry trilogy, along with Fort Apache and Rio Grande. And it's, it's one of the great performances of John Wayne on film. And they were expendable, one of the great John Wayne war movies. I mean, Robert Montgomery and you know, Donna Reed. And then the other two that get the more, you know, the usual regular Blu-ray treatment, McHugh with John Wayne. I which remember is,
1: that movie, dude. What year, what, what year was that again? Uh, 1974.
0: 1974. Yeah, same as same as Cornbread or Cornbread, Earl and My my, my,
1: yeah. my dad took me through that movie. Too. See,
0: and, and he's trying to be Dirty Harry here, except it it, it just it's he's too old. Uh, John Sturges is trying to be the guy who directed uh, you know the Dirty Dozen again, but yeah. it, he's too old. It's just it, McHugh is fine. It's a great movie for John Wayne big fans, but he's not.
1: You know he's not. Uh, Mr. Cogburn. Yeah, or, or even uh, McClintock. Uh, did he, was it McClintock? Who, yeah, he, McClintock. Yeah yeah, 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 He's
0: just, but he's he's not Clint Eastwood, which is what he's trying to be at this time. You know, he's trying to keep his career going. <laughs> and Roman then the other Charlie
1: Bronson. Yeah,
0: the other one is Chisholm, which is not even remotely the film that uh, she wore a yellow ribbon is. Uh, this was directed by Andrew McLaughlin, who, of course, legendary Western director, does the commentary and uh, there's a little featurette on here as well. And I mean, it's perfectly fine. Chisholm is a is a popular. Beloved film for a lot of John Wayne fans, uh, you know, basically a story of a cattle king who's, you know, trying to hold it all together and fight off the usual land baron that they always have to deal with. But um, again, you know, I, I don't know why those films were all divided
1: between Warner Archive and Warner Proper. Very strange. Yeah, you gave me a couple over here. I've got uh, Return of the Killer Tomatoes, 19, uh, 1988, Return of Terrible the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, nineteen seventy eight. Uh, interesting. Uh, a decade later. Look, some people can make a career out of a theme. John uh, DeBello here makes uh, attack of the killer tomatoes in '78. You know, you, you 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 hang around for ten years. You know what I'm going to do? Make the other. No, I'll just make it again. <laughs> I'll just make the same damn movie again, uh, which is actually not that dumb. Full of all kinds of special edition contents here. Uh, it's a restoration. Uh, from the original film. Uh, you've got interviews with Anthony Stark, an image gallery, all the stuff you could possibly think of. So, Return of the Killer Tomatoes. You know, I wonder if you need to see the first one before you see this No, one. not think, really. You think it'll, yeah. you, so just, you just see the first one instead. Won't, won't be able to follow uh, came it. Came <laughs> uh, Suture, 1993. Very interesting. Love film. this movie. Dennis Hayesbird whom, uh, who, who, what does he sell? He sells car insurance or something. What is, it? Yeah. is he the Geico guy? What is he? He's somebody. Oh, he, he does... Uh, Allstate. Uh, yeah, All All state. All state. He's that the Allstate. State. That's Dennis Haysburg, folks. So this is 1993. And the president from from 24. And the president from, uh, from 24, actually nominated for an Oscar, I think, for Love, Phil, opposite cell Pfeiffer. Oh, he may have... He, he, I, I, I'm not sure he got a nomination. Did, but was, he he was he not was, nominated for that? No, not, she got, she nominated, got nominated. nominated. She got nominated. She got nominated. Yeah, he, he probably should have been. Yeah. So this is a very, very interesting film. Black and White, 1993, very small film. Uh, It's about these two brothers who don't know each other, one rich, one poor now uh for those of us watching the film we can plainly see that one is white and uh you know Dennis is black mm-hmm. this is not something that is acknowledged with the, inside the context never, of the film never uh, uh you know, one of them decides to try to kill the other one in order to um because it's mentioned that they look alike which of course is a conceit again that, that draws you into the film it's a very very interesting thing that's going on that it's a thriller uh, but it's really not about the thing that's going on in the thriller. It's really about racial identity and and perception and all that kind of stuff. Very very sharp film. Plus a really really great early performance from Dennis Haysburg. Uh Special uh, special edition DVD here contains both the DVD and the brew uh, the Blu-ray. Uh, all kinds of commentaries, uh, including one monitored by Steven Soderbergh here. So good stuff. Yes. And then, uh, do we dare talk about this? Uh, do, you, do you know about that movie? I do again? unfortunately, the, 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 the swinging cheerleaders. Jack Hill. It's a Jack Hill film. I it's know a that. Jack
0: Hill. Jack Hill, one of the great classic uh, exploitation coffee. direct. Coffee, coffee made baby. a lot of great exploitation films. The Swinging Cheerleaders is is not one of them, really. <laughs> uh, this is from Arrow, and they just blew this out. I'm sure because it has a, a huge cult following. But uh, the Swinging Cheerleaders is um, this may come as a shock, but this movie is about swinging cheerleaders. Is <laughs> that... <laughs> I don't want the title to uh, to deceive you.
2: Special features. Uh, yeah, <laughs>
0: it's it's it, there's a whole undercover thing here. You know, uh, this young journalist who goes undercover as a cheerleader at the college. You know, to,
1: to, to it's to still, basically it's, it's one of those you can't make you you, cannot, can. you can't make it, yeah, no, you cannot do this you can't to the only, the only out of the country the
0: only thing, the only reason this is out is because uh, Quentin Tarantino loves this and they resurrected this film for the Tarantino Film Fest some years ago. And uh, it's just really campy and silly. And, uh, it's about boobies. It's all it, about That's boobies. all it is. Yeah. It even includes a reversible sleeve featuring the <laughs> original artwork. Uh, so if that's a real lure to you. Anyway, an audio commentary with Jack Hill, which was exclusively recorded for this release. And we're and, talking crap, but I'm a big fan of Jack Hill. Uh, you know what? Listening to Jack Hill is actually better than watching the movie, yeah. I'll tell you. It really is. Uh, he just he, he knows his stuff. And all right, and then let's. Uh, so I'm going to wrap out here with uh, the latest Twilight Time releases, which uh, are rather amazing. There's a lot of incredible stuff here, and it just always amazes me that the studios let these things go. Uh, the first one is, a, is Inserts with Richard Dreyfus, uh, which is a complete and total cult film from the uh, early 70s, just before Jaws. Which people have forgotten about. Have you guys seen inserts? Not in ever? years,
1: not in yeah, this in is
0: years. such an interesting movie. it's It's kind of in in that, you know, there were a lot the the, the fact that porn was
1: becoming. Kind of a mainstream thing in the early '70s. They talk about it a little bit in boogie nights. There was this idea yeah. by a few guys that it, you could you could you could do something.
0: And and porn is becoming kind of a thing, right? In the early '70s, and so you get movies like Hardcore with you know like
1: Kansas uh, Kansas. So, yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, Sissy Spacek, uh, where, where you know they're sort of wrestling with this and how society is going to absorb this. And Dreyfus basically plays a guy who's reduced to making porn films. And, uh, you know, he never leaves the house, and along comes Bob Hoskins with his girlfriend who wants to be an actress, and it gets real creepy. I, if I, if I, got, I forgot Bob Hoskins was in that movie. Bob Hoskins? Yeah, yeah. It's creepy. It, behind
1: the Green Door, I think, pushed a lot yeah, of that. Yeah, from it back. did. Yeah,
0: sure cool. did. Yeah. Uh, Al Pacino in one of his best-ever performances, The Panic in Needle Park. Yeah. Such an amazing movie. Uh, you know, really, really tough, gritty, 1971. Um You know, just coming just on the cusp of the Godfather, you know, just coming off of some of his first uh, really, really good notices. Uh, Twilight Time, really, they just got a gold one with this. They really, really did. Uh, Jerry Schatzberg shot this. Uh, Joan Didion co-wrote the screenplay. And it's just, uh, it, is a, it is an absolutely wonderful look. I mean, I shouldn't even say wonderful. It is a gritty, but yet somehow affecting look at addiction and love.
1: It had that sort of uh, sense of verite that those films, yeah. I mean, Midnight Cowboy. Very much you know, so. I mean, you know, these were films, but they had this sort of sense of verite that, yeah. that was uh, very, very prevalent at the time.
0: Rollerball, which I really, sh- I don't even need to give you any introduction to Rollerball. Norman Jewison directed Rollerball uh, in 1975, right after he made Fiddler on the Roof. The two films have a great deal in common. Mm. Um, no, actually, I take no, that back. No. no, they don't have anything <laughs> in no, no, no. uh, Although I'm sure there are probably a couple of Jewish guys playing Rollerball <laughs> at some point, but I, I, I can't yeah, imagine. They remade
1: that, too, in the 90s. They isn't? did. It was yeah. terrible. Yeah, 1,
0: terrible. Jimmy um, King, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, basically, futuristic roller derby, and uh, people die, and it's it's. Creepy and weird, and it's supposed to kind of have a Logan's Run vibe to it in some way, too. I'm sure, yeah. uh, or like Future World and Westworld. Wasn't that the early '70s were loaded with the future is going to be horrible and scary movies?
1: And they, they're, they're, they got a Westworld HBO series that's queued up for the fall. Believe it or not, all of that stuff you know, is coming, yeah, coming back around. It's coming back. Soylent around. Green. Yeah. makes me hungry. It's you know what it is. What it's people. <laughs> you get that in
0: Africa? Yes, he <laughs> did. Okay. Soylent Green was people. We made in Green. In
1: <laughs> <afternoon>. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant.
0: Uh, and then uh, we've got The Hound of the Baskervilles, which is one of a half dozen times that this thing has been made for the movies. Uh, this is the one with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, and uh, it's pretty great. Uh, it, this was a Hammer production in, uh, the from 1950 fifty nine I think this was anyway it, uh, this is a really really great hammer production uh, who 's who's
1: your, who's your, who's your favorite Sherlock mine says that his name was Jeremy something he was he was, he was a, he a heroine he, actor he had that series that Sherlock he played Sherlock in that series. Probably late nineties or so. What was this new? Oh, oh,
0: oh, 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 oh. oh uh, 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 you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right? Well, uh, well, you're uh, see. I'm now I'm drawing. It's it's,
1: it's drawing my brain too, You're talking
0: about the the Sherlock Holmes stuff, the, the the British stuff. The British, d- which, yeah. Yeah. Why am I drawing a blank on his name? Me too. But he's so. Well, idiot. that's that's the actor who played Freddie Eynsford Hill in My Fair Lady. Exactly. And went on to play Sherlock Holmes rather amazingly yeah, when, yeah, he, when yeah. he aged into it a little bit.
1: he was actually a drug addict himself, so you know, played it took it a little too seriously.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And uh, then the uh, the member of the wedding. This is another Twilight Time title uh, from the uh, Columbia Library. This this thing is loaded. This is from uh, 1952, uh, a Stanley Kramer film that is uh, produced produced by Stanley Kramer and uh, directed by Fred Zinnemann and, uh, you know, both giants of their era and really f- f- a- an unusually much more restrained film for Zinnemann, who was already very restrained, did things, you know, obviously Zinnemann did Man for All Seasons and High Noon. And Kramer, as a producer, was, you know, responsible for Judgment at Nuremberg and Exodus and a lot of other uh, films that were really, really overwrought and very messagey and preachy. Uh, this is an interesting uh, combination of the two of them. It's really, it is a, this is a beautiful restrained Poetic uh, story, really, 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 very sensitive, um, uh, based on a Carson McCullers play, which was adapted from her own novel, and it stars Julie Harris as uh, this tomboy uh, who is, you know, just uh, sort of trying to to make do in, you know, with the with life and challenges in life, and it's actually really quite beautiful. Uh, terrific Alex North score that was. Um, uh, you know, is you can get as an isolated track on this, Jeremy Brett. Jeremy Brett, thank Jeremy you. Jeremy Brett, uh, that took a minute, but you know, whatever. Freddie Ainsford Hill <laughs> on uh, in My Fair Lady, and there then becomes Sherlock Holmes, and then the last one here is Romeo
1: is bleeding. Have either of you seen Romeo? Oh, bleeding Yeah, Are you kidding me? Uh, it, Lena Lena Olin. Uh, we're talking yes, Gary Olin. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman, man, that was a th- completely wild movie.
0: Now, Nadim, do you do you remember? You would have known some of the connective tissue with this to me. Do you know how this film connects to me and to my wife? No, you don't. You don't know this story. No, Tim, do you know this story?
1: You probably have told me. I okay, after the, so uh, start again. so
0: I'm going to. Uh, well, it's not directly connected to the film. It's connected to a different film, but through a different film, but I will fill you in in a moment. In any case, Peter Medak directed this. Peter Medak, of course, who did Love at First Bite, Let Him Have It, a lot of other amazing films, really extraordinary career. I love Peter Medak as a director, really eclectic uh, director. This is from 1993, and uh, it, it, is, it is a noir that features probably the most terrifying femme fatale in noir history. Gary Oldman is essentially an impotent male lead in this. Lena Olin is a villainous psychopath who does things to herself yeah. that are so sadistic and horrifying, just so that she can get away with anything. It will blow your mind. She is so she makes she would make the Terminator T one thousand run the other way. That's mm-hmm. how scary uh, Lena Olin is in this movie. She is
1: absolutely wonderful. She is the she's, she's just off the chart crazy. I'm, I'm, as i as i look at the, i had you know I, I saw this movie in 93 i think i did the junket for this movie yeah but i'm looking at these these names tony sharacco tony tony Scirocco, people will yeah. know him from um uh the sopranos yeah uh you got annabella Shiora in this movie you got mm-hmm. james Cromwell in this movie you yeah. got michael wincott in this movie. these are all names people oh, yeah, will know for sure. you got will patton in this movie i'm working my way up from the bottom of the cast list Cast list here to Juliette Lewis in this movie, Lena Olin and Gary. So these here's are the people. You who know, so were way down the bill in this movie. Okay, so here's the deal: the characters are named Jack
0: and Mona. Uh, my wife was the post-production accountant on the film Murder in the First. Oh yeah. Okay, Murder in the First with you know uh, with uh, Kevin Bacon as the guy you know sentenced to death and the whole thing. In in Murder in the First, there are a couple of canaries. There are a couple of birds in a cage in the movie. No one wanted those birds when Murder in the First finished shooting, so they were sitting in the accounting office for the longest time. And my wife inherited them at the time, (laughs) before she was my wife, and named them Jack and Mona after these characters. (laughs) So for many years while we were dating, I was exposed to Jack and Mona, the the, the birds, who were eventually eaten by her
1: dog. (laughs) (laughs)